Hey everybody, what is up? It is Jeff from Modern Combat and Survival, and welcome to podcast episode number 304. Now this week I'm bringing some old school to the new school, with a top 10 list for reasons why you should really think about the benefits of a revolver over a semi-automatic pistol for your home and personal defense arsenal. Now, if you love snubbies and wheel guns, then this is the episode for you. And if you have no idea what I just said, then this episode is really for you because you're about to discover a powerful new addition to your personal defense plan. So sit back, relax, and let's check in with my revolver guru, Michael DeBethencourt, as he lays out the realities of revolvers. And hey, don't worry about taking notes because we've done all the heavy lifting for you with this week's free show notes, including your handy-dandy one-page cheat sheet covering all the main points. All you have to do is head on over to www.mcsmagazine.com 304 and download it all absolutely free. And now, let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. Just the other day, I saw an article on social media that actually asked the question, is the defensive revolver a fad or is it here to stay? Now, I had to blink a few times and wonder if I hadn't just climbed out of my DeLorean after traveling back in time, maybe a few decades or so, because I thought that question was one of those gun magazine debates from like back in the Stone Age. Now, believe it or not, though, people do still argue about whether the revolver is a viable defensive weapon choice. The alternative, of course, is a semi-automatic pistol, but what if I told you that, for a lot of reasons, a good revolver can actually beat a semi-auto for daily defensive carry? I know, sounds like tactical blasphemy, right? Well, today's guest has a whole lot of reasons why he feels a revolver, and particularly the snub revolver, deserves a second look as your defensive weapon, and he's here with us to back it up. Hello, everyone, this is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat Survival Magazine, with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. And with us today to discuss that issue is revolver expert, Michael DeBethencourt. Michael, welcome back to the program, man. Well, good afternoon, Jeff, and thank you for, uh, for running me in here. Let's see how well I can do for you and all your listeners. <laughs> I know, I, have, I always have faith in that. An ex, an ex Carney has no problems with entertaining my audience. So uh, yes, I do know your, uh, your extensive background here. Uh, for those of you the people that don't really know Michael's background, though, or haven't listened to one of our other podcasts or our master classes with Michael, uh, his training resume is a very lengthy one and specializes in courses on the snub nose revolver, weapon disarming and retention, and folding knife skills, both for law enforcement officials and legally armed civilians. Now, Michael is over a 30 year student of martial arts and a 20 year student, over 20 year student, of police defensive tactics. Now, he's also a nationally recognized defensive revolver, weapon disarming, and improvised weapons trainer, and an internationally recognized knife instructor and trainer as well from his past. But his latest work has been in expanding the awareness of. Well, his specialty in snub nose training, as well as other shooting skills, with a new organization called I'm With Roscoe, which is a noir-themed association. It's a shooting association that's a, like a combination of pulp detectives meets cowboy action shooting. Now, the whole point of this organization is really to, yes, better your defensive shooting skills, but also have fun doing it with a lot less practice, a lot less rounds downrange. Now, to learn more about Michael and his training and the new association, you can visit him online at www.imwithroscoe.com. And that's R-O-S-C-O-E.com, imwithroscoe.com. All right, Michael, so given that, I don't think uh, there's anybody else who's more qualified to talk with us about the revolver and kind of trying to, to get people to, 
I guess, open back up to this, right? This was something that was just tried and true because that was all you had were revolvers before. But um, but it's kind of taken a backstage to a lot of semi-automatic pistols. Now, you've come out with lots of documentation you've written for magazines and everything else about the advantages that people should really look at with a revolver and why, in many instances, it can actually beat the kind of the what people consider to be the tried and true and the only choice for a defensive weapon of a semi-automatic pistol. So my challenge here was, I know you've come up with, you have like a whole laundry list of reasons why the revolver can actually beat uh, an auto, but I wanted to get kind of maybe you're like your top 10 or 10 really good ones here that might get people to really open up their eyes again to, to why a revolver might be a really, really good choice for them for a defensive carry. So I'm just going to kind of leave it over to you. We've got a top 10 list going here. So what is number one on your list of the reasons why a revolver can beat a, an auto? Oh, if I had to pick a top one out of, a, out of as you said, a laundry list is, um, and I'll bring it in full circle in a moment, it's a fun gun. Um, and, and let me back that up a bit. Um, I get to travel a great deal, and we run into um, a lot of competent, exceptionally skilled firearms instructors. Uh, and um, in, invariably, when they find out that I'm a short power revolver uh, aficionado, um, is a lot of uh, denigration. Um, uh, people will pick up your spent brass and, and, and note you have dinosaur droppings. Um, and uh, the problem with that is that it even exceptionally skilled uh, firearm handlers are willing to be completely dismissive of a, of a weapon that not only has a very storied history as a self-defense tool, but is still daily being used by, uh, if not millions, tens of millions of human beings. Now, as an instructor, when I would have people with uh, whatever tool that came in, it was a personal choice, it was, a, it was a department choice, my first job was not to denigrate it. And my second job was to make sure that someone who came into a class with whatever piece particular piece of equipment left more competent and uh, better trained than they walked in. I didn't want them walking out thinking that they had substandard equipment or they couldn't get the job done when historically that has never been the case. Um, that being said, the first job to get people to be comfortable with the weapon and to recognize that it is an absolutely vile self-defense tool is that it has to be fun to shoot. And I would argue that there are so many uh, nuances and bits of equipment and unconventional drills, and quite frankly, um, an amazing number of vanishing tricks that make, that go into all that has gone before it, into making the revolver a self-defense tool, that when you introduce people to some of these elements, and they really appreciate how much they can get out of the weapon, they have an entirely different perspective on what it can do and what it can't do, but mostly what it can do. Yeah, I'll second that also, because it is really a, it is a fun gun to shoot. And for those people out there, when you go to the range, um, because the grip is different, the, you know, how, how it feels in your hand is different, how you grip it is different, how you, um, how it feels in your hand when you pull that trigger is different. And for those people that really enjoy shooting, like going to the range, and yes, it's, there's, you know, you're practicing your defensive skills, but because it is such a different experience than your usual semi-automatic pistol, um, it's, it makes the, the shooting experience at the range unique and fun. So yeah, I'll definitely second that. 
Uh, Michael, what is uh, item number two on your uh, reasons why the revolver can beat the auto? Oh, um, I'll start with an easy one. There are two reasons you're going to go to the range to practice self-defense skill. Are you going to be passing on a skill to someone else who trusts you to be able to give them that skill, or you're trying to improve your own gun handling um, in no particular order? Let's start with, uh, I would argue that the only thing uh, equivalently fun to uh, teaching someone else to shoot is giving yourself an opportunity to do it um, in, in a fashion that you don't generally. Um, uh, let's try this. Um, if, if I if I were come up with a couple of uh, my top reasons that it's a self-defense tool, uh, I'd start off with that. Uh, if you've seen one, you've seen them all. If you train on one, you've trained on them all. There are only so many ways, in fact, as far as I know, adjust two directions that the cylinder is going to uh, move in. There's only three ways that you can generally work the cylinder release, forward, aft, or in. And with that, you have uh, a... I don't want to call it complete mastery, but you have a, a substantial handle on how to manipulate the weapon. Um, if you are going to teach yourself to shoot, uh, I think one of the high points is being able to shoot it competently, both right-handed and left-handed. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pose a question in order to, to, to move it along. Um, if I ask someone to tell me how well they can shoot single-handed, uh, with a dominant hand and they give me a figure of let's say 90 percent uh, and because the gun's not particularly difficult to shoot i say well what do you do with dominant hand uh right hand a dominant hand right hand one hand only they might say well i'm still confident to do it about 90 percent and then if you switch it over to uh, two hands but non-dominant hand maybe they can still squeak out 90 percent but when you get to the stage that it's um one-handed only non-dominant handed let's say they drop it down to 60 percent if we're lucky and then I ask you, well, if you add those all up and divide it by four, uh, is that a reasonable assessment of how well you shoot collectively? And generally, folks will tell you no. And I will argue, no, that 60 is your baseline for self-defense skills because you are only as good as your absolute worst shooting skill. And one of the nice things about Revolver when you're training yourself is that it is a easy weapon to transition from a dominant hand to a non-dominant hand in order to bring yourself up to an across-the-board shooting level. And if you say, well, that doesn't seem reasonable, um, then I would suggest this. If I were going to take a collection of handgunners uh, who are all competent and I wanted to move them into all dedicated non-dominant uh, hand, single-hand shooting, I would take my revolvers, I would download them to the lightest firing rounds I could manage, and incrementally work them up uh, success to success sort of steps until they were as equally competent with single-handed non-dominant hand shooting as they are with the dominant hand. Now, you can certainly do that with a semi-automatic pistol and you should certainly be doing that with a semi-automatic pistol, but I would argue that it is not nearly as easy to bring you to that level of competence with a pistol as it is with a revolver if that's your goal, complete uh, bilateral dominance with the weapon. Hmm. Yeah, and actually, the way that I the way that I carry a revolver, and I won't go into the reasons why, because I don't know if I'm going to steal any thunder later on in this thing. But um, but that makes a lot more sense given the way I use it as a backup. Also, so um, that's interesting that you say that. Um, okay, 
All right, so what is, uh, what is item number three on our top 10 list here? Um, I'm gonna argue a, a version of what I just said, it's training versatility. Um, I've already noted that you can, you can download the weapon, you can, you can increase the power of the weapon. Um, it is designed from the ground up to give you more versatility. There are a number of stocks that you can get are almost beyond counting. The, uh, the interface between you and the grip angle can be changed readily, which is something you don't often get with the pistol. Um, the, not only traditional rounds, light kicking rounds, heavy kicking rounds, but you have a range of, um, oh, uh, how do I say this? Uh, I call them POPs, uh, primer only propelled training rounds. Um, if you can't get out to the range through your quantity of shooting that you want, you have access to good ventilation and, and a, uh, a safe area, you can shoot plastic rounds, you can shoot wax rounds, you can shoot rubber rounds, um, you can shoot to snap together rounds. Uh, uh, there's a wonderful company uh, called Convertipel, and they make a solid brass 38 with a hole running through the, uh, from the top to the bottom. You, uh, you put a primer on one end, you drop 177 caliber air gun pellet in the top, you put in the sleeve insert, and you get some amazingly accurate, uh, uh, low-cost, nearly no-cost training tool. Um, so, uh, uh, and, and uh, something else not to miss is force-on-force uh, -force training. Now, I'm not suggesting that you can't get force-on-force -force with all the other weapon systems, but I will argue that it is infinitely easier to set up a revolver as a force-on-force -force tool that will give you maximum safety. I have a great number of force-on-force um, uh, -force revolvers. Every one of them has been fitted with discriminator uh, rings and they've been micro-welded. The cylinders have been uh, color-coded. The stocks have been color-coded. And uh, I'm not criticizing anybody's equipment and I'm not criticizing anybody's uh, methodology, but when you lay a force-on-force -force revolver that's been properly set up next to, let's say, a semi-automatic pistol. If your um, ejector covers uh, face down, you might be able to see the nub of the barrel telling you that it's been converted to a force-on-force -force weapon, but it's not nearly as uh, visually evident that it's a dedicated force-on-force -force uh, tool as is a properly set up revolver. So um, I would argue that for some shooters on some occasions, the versatility for um, advanced and alternative style training is a little uh, more uh, um, supportive in the argument that uh, you can get more out of a wheel gun than you can with a pistol. Okay, um, so training versatility, it covers a lot, of, uh, a lot of ground there from versatility of the weapon itself as well as the ammunition. What was the name of the company that has that, um, I'm very interested in that, where you can use the BB rounds um, in those in those uh, in the, the the ammunition. Do you remember what that company is? Yes, uh, yes. the The company's name is Convert Appel, C O N V E R T hyphen A hyphen Pell Convert Appel. And um, I don't imagine you'll have much trouble if you uh, hunt it up on the internet. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll put a link in. We'll it's, put a link a fun, in it's a fun round and it's an easy one to assemble. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm very curious about that. Somebody that, you know, I have my own little tactical range in my garage. So um, it's an interesting, uh, uh, I'm going to have to check that out. Okay, so that was number three, was training versatility. What's number four on our list? 
All right, well, let's talk about some of the things that the revolver can do as a self-defense tool that uh, I would argue um, are slight advantages over a pistol. Um, uh, let's talk about malfunction drills. Now, the truth be told, it is infinitely easier to generally clear a malfunction with a semi-automatic pistol, but that's only because, in my experience, the overwhelming majority of, of revolver shooters, uh, and some, some seriously revolver shooters, don't know the fundamentals of a malfunction clearing. Uh, and at the risk of, of giving a perfectly good example that I hope would be of some value to the folks in your end, uh, let, me, let me pantomimely walk you through one. Uh, a drill we use almost um, on every shooting class is we, uh, I, I will take a dummy round, I'll take one of the students, the J-frame to K-frame revolvers, uh, we unload the cylinders, uh, I insert the dummy round, and then I, I manage to get the, um, the rims under the star ejector. And that's usually the most common fear that uh, the star ejector will ride up over the rim during a reload. And then how do you want, how do you clear it? And if you know anything uh, about your, your revolvers, and I'm sure most of your, uh, your participants do, you press down on the, uh, the end of the star ejector, uh, um, it goes to near its full length. And the, the clearance tolerances, especially with the short barreled uh, J frames and K frames are, are so tight you can't get in underneath the star eject to clear it. And then this is the point where somebody says, well, this is why the pistol is such a better tool. And then you walk over and you suggest to them that it's not necessarily the case. The problem is you haven't been properly taught how to clear this. And if you take the edge of the star ejector, when you press down on, on the ejector rod, and you can pull it uh, farther away from the face of the cylinder, nearly doubling the clearance, at which point, you can point the muzzle up, give the gun a gentle shake, and almost without fail, that round will fall out from under the star ejector. Now, I know at least one case, it's a tragic case of an officer up in California, if I remember correctly, got around, got on the star ejector, had never been properly taught to clear it, and subsequently lost his life by trying. And I asked, and I've been asking for 30 years, why is this not a standard uh, uh, element of training in any revolver class anywhere? Um, and on the off chance that you pick up uh, a, a weapon, uh, just like I know that almost all of your readers or your viewers know how to, um, how to make safe a semi-automatic pistol, uh, you should be able to make safe or clear a minimal malfunction uh, with, with minimal uh, exertion. So um, I would put down uh, malfunction skills are easy to learn if you've been properly trained as a, a value with a revolver. So let me uh, let me kind of uh, challenge this being on the list because I don't know if this is I mean this doesn't sound necessarily like it's an advantage over the revolver. It sounds like something that definitely people that do have a revolver or that that are um, that are going to carry one or have one or train with one need to know that sort of thing. But if I could if I could offer I mean malfunctions themselves are going to be generally. I don't even know if general, I mean, I would think definitely going to be much more um, prevalent in, in semi-automatic pistol because there's so many more working parts, right? I mean, isn't there, wouldn't you argue that there's less malfunctions with a, with a revolver because it is such a, more, a simpler thing? In fact, for semi-automatic pistols, what I find is that most, a lot of the, um, a lot of the malfunctions that happen are mostly because of the magazine themselves, whether they're dirty magazines, the springs aren't really working well as well anymore. They didn't load up the magazine as well. I mean, there's just lots of reasons, but it oftentimes ends up becoming a magazine and for a revolver that doesn't actually have 
that magazine in there in those working parts and it's a simpler structure, you're gonna have less malfunctions. Um, wouldn't you, would you agree with that? I, I think that's an excellent point. Let me try to, to bridge the two items. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll pick up on what you just said and I'll, I'll roll it into an actual advantage. Um, malfunctions with the revolver as an advantage over the pistol are almost reflexively solved. If you pull the trigger and the gun fails to fire uh, and you presume that the weapon is still loaded, the only thing you have to do to move up to the next round is pull the trigger again. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that that is probably the fastest malfunction clearing option of all the uh, contemporary uh, handguns. Now, um, I'm gonna suggest to you, uh, in order to, to, to give you another advantage, is weapon retention. Now, uh, just from a mechanical point of view, or for, for a physical point of view, you have a shorter barrel. You, if you have a, a reasonable set of stocks on it, if you're on one end of the weapon and you're dealing with somebody on the other end of the weapon, because there's less of the gun on their end, and there's theoretically more of the gun on your end, you have more advantage, a mechanical advantage to hang on to the weapon and peel it out of someone's hand. Now, ideally, everybody with a, with a, a sidearm uh, is going to be properly trained, is going to have an opportunity to take a handgun disarming retention class. But even if that's not the case, uh, holding on to a larger portion of the gun when dealing with somebody who has a smaller portion of the gun and who's holding essentially a, uh, a rotating disc on the other end gives you an advantage in holding it. I'm also going to suggest that there's a, uh, there's a rather um, unique mechanism for getting that weapon to discharge when you get uh, in a weapon retention situation. Now, if you know your revolvers, and again, I expect everyone who does, knows anything is that if someone were fighting with me over the gun and were to clamp their hand on top of the, the cylinder, I wouldn't normally be able to get the weapon to discharge. I, could, I can compress the trigger. The problem is that with a revolver, when you compress the trigger, the uh, hammer has to come back, the cylinder has to rotate, and then the hammer has to drop to discharge the weapon. Um, but I'm gonna argue that in that situation, the advantage is still with the, uh, the revolver. You can be fighting with somebody over a semi-automatic pistol, the weapon comes out of battery, and then you have to go through the mechanisms of clearing that situation in order to get the weapon to fire. If you're hanging on to a revolver, and you've got somebody hanging on to the top of it, if you make a sharp, fast, unexpected, palm up, twist with your hand, what you're gonna end up doing is that with the top of the cylinder seized, you can't get the gun to discharge because the cylinder needs to rotate. But if you're hanging on to that weapon when someone's hanging on to yours and you turn your hand briskly up suddenly, the cylinder will remain in place, in space, but the frame will rotate around the cylinder and you can get the weapon to discharge. Now that's an advantage I would argue that you're not gonna find in a semi-automatic pistol. Ooh, yeah, that's very ninja. Very ninja, dude. <laughs> that's really cool. Um, I'm gonna have to play with that one, actually. That's gonna, that's gonna be a fun one to mess around with. I like that. Okay, all right, so let's go for uh, number five here. What is number five on the list of reasons why a revolver can beat semi-auto? All right, I'm gonna suggest something uh, a little esoteric. And, uh, and you're going to have to uh, give me a moment to defend myself. It has some of the most sophisticated uh, safeties on the market. Now, 
I don't know how many uh, other uh, gun owners have read uh, uh, detective stories or mystery stories or, uh, or even watch television. And then someone comes up on the television uh, and suggests that they're going to pick up their, their revolver and turn on the safety. And then you figure that these folks don't know what they're talking about. At the same time, um, having weapons that you can make safe or not make safe with a selector switch uh, have saved lives uh, in uh, weapon retention situations and in uh, if you lose control of a weapon, if you have someone come across a weapon, uh, if it's unattended, unintentionally, um, not being able to make the gun go off without knowing that there's some nuanced lever is an advantage. Well, there's at least, there used to be two, now there's down to three uh, aftermarket safeties that you can apply to a revolver. I had a wonderful opportunity uh, with, a, uh, with a friend uh, who was in public safety, and I, I, won't, I won't identify more than that, but um, he was uh, rather uh, unpleasant when he was assessing my equipment and suggested that um, my shooting gear, by extension my self-defense gear, was set up so that the weapon would come out uh, reasonably quickly, and his fear was that I would suddenly lose the control of the weapon if I were in proximity to somebody and that their weapon would be turned on me and used against me or someone else. And I suggested, well, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting proposition. Let's take a look at it. Uh, we unloaded the weapons, triple checked to make sure they were clear. We got the gentleman to one side and I said, uh, make sure we, nobody crossed the muzzle. When I take, uh, when, what I'm going to have you do is uh, with Without any risk for me, I want you to snatch the weapon out of the holster. Muzzle's never going to cross you, never going to cross me. Point uh, the muzzle at the target, give it a couple of dry fires, and at that point, I declare you the undisputed victor in this uh, weapon retention contest. And he was absolutely convinced uh, that he had me dead to rights. Uh, I gave him the go, uh, snatched out the holster, pointed at the target, couldn't get it to go. Uh, he absolutely competent in scores, semi-automatic pistols, didn't have a clue what to do. Looking like uh, a mule staring at a wristwatch. And then when he got completely befuddled, I snatched it from his hand and with very, very subtle movement, I uh, took the safety off and got the weapon to dry fire repetitively. And then I holstered it up and suggested, why don't you stick with your pistol and I'll trust my safety to my wheel gun. And he was at minimum uh, perplexed and at, at worst absolutely furious that he had been uh, he had been proven wrong. So there are lots of elements, a lot of aftermarket items you can apply that enhance the revolver as a self defense tool. So do you see? So let me let me ask you about this because I've always seen it actually as um, <laughs> like I'm I'm not a big fan of safeties um, just with my own personal defensive gear and everything. And so I think one of the advantages of the actual of the revolver is that typically you don't have a safety on. Usually you don't have like in my guns, I don't have a safety on it. The safety is typically it's harder to pull that trigger. It's not going to be like a you know semi-automatic uh, trigger um, uh, pull where it's going to be a lot easier to to do that. And so it's kind of like a built-in in a way. It's kind of a built-in safety-ish mechanism. So I've always seen that as a as a benefit to it, but you're talking about putting on an aftermarket like you you do like to have a safety on your your um, revolver. Well, I'll answer both questions. I think there are two in there. Um, I work uh, um, as a in, uh, police investigator. That's my technical title. I don't think it's really what I do. Uh, at a um, uh, in a suburb just near Boston, 
in housing projects. And um, I still use a, a revolver. I'm a fur advocate that uh, if you want to take training from somebody, you want to take it from somebody who carries a pistol but teaches a revolver, somebody carries a revolver and teaches a revolver. That's not, again, I'm not, I'm not denigrating anybody. It's just the way I prefer to do that. And because I'm in contact with a goodly number of folks, not all of which have the best intentions, it strikes me as advantageous to have some discreet, uh, nearly invisible uh, additional safety. Um, I'm a firm, uh, I'm a belt and suspender guy. I have a lot of uh, doubt about trusting 100% of everything 100% of the time. To go back to your, so, so the answer, uh, on, on certain circumstances, under certain conditions, I think having a safety that nobody else can find, but that you can turn on and off uh, reflexively, is an enormous safety advantage. Now, let's go talk about being able to grab the gun when you want. I understand the theory, and I'm, and I'm not going to denigrate it. But that being said, nobody is going to be in control of their firearm when it's not in the safe. 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the remainder of your life and beyond. Um, you can get sick. You can be uh, uh, moved away from your home. You may be responding to someplace uh, for, for the, for the, for the, in the interest of your family, uh, and you're not going to be able to bring a weapon because it's a weapon-free environment. And you're going to need to go someplace and secure it, and you may not have the latitude to secure it in your home, in your safe. Now, um, I don't think anyone dislikes the, the frame-mounted safeties, or the frame-mounted uh, revolver locks more than I do. Uh, I, I, and there's nothing you're going to get out of me that's going to tell you that I defend that. But having it mandated is different than having it optional. And being able to secure the weapon, in addition to being secure of the weapon, and I'm being redundant here, if I can turn the weapon in a condition, or I can render the weapon in a condition that if I ever lose control of it, uh, sickness, travel, what have you, um, or, or the normal wear and tear. We all make some mistakes. Nobody can claim that they are flawless when it comes to day-to-day -day conduct. And no matter how many times we try to layer our self-defense systems, or more importantly, our safety protocols. The reason we have safety protocols and layered safety protocols is because we all know that eventually we're going to make a mistake. And we want to make sure that, that when that mistake comes to pass, we don't cause harm. Well, if I can render the firearm inert on command and I can take away that inert status on command and few, if anyone else knows the trick to that, then I have given myself an advantage that I'm, I'm going to suggest that historically is a provable advantage. We've got untold number of operas who have been uh, saved over the decades when their semi-automatic pistols have been put on safe or, or uh, uh, there was a snatch attempt while the weapon was on safe and the bad guy wasn't able to get the weapon to go off. Uh, but once the weapon was recovered by the officer, he or she was able to turn it on immediately. Um, so I'm going to fall back that I, I, I don't have to be, no one has to agree with me, but in my mind's eye, being able to have that option is a distinct advantage. Yeah, that's an interesting um that's an interesting safety mechanism too that you're talking about. One that's kind of like invisible there. It's not, it's not reflexive that somebody, even if they knew guns would be able to get to it. That's interesting. Okay. All right. Listen, everybody, we've been talking with Michael de Bethencourt of I'm with Roscoe.com about why the revolver actually can beat a semi-automatic pistol for defensive carry. 
But just in case the first five reasons didn't convince you, we have five more coming right up. But first, check out this special message. What if everything you knew about how to stop a violent attacker with your gun was wrong? Discover the advanced tactics you must know now to protect yourself and those you love with a firearm. Check out our free book, Stopping Power Secrets. Inside, you'll find such no-hold-barred shockers as one, the three most common myths and misinformation shoveled out by movies and gun range know-it-alls that could get you killed in a real-life gunfight. Two, the cold, hard truth about your personal weapon's ability to be a one-shot man-stopper. Three, what coroners know about selecting the right ammo for your firearm that you don't. Four, and the simple training trick used by Abrams tank crews and commercial airline pilots that will prepare you for a real attack even better than your best day at the range. Don't place your family's safety in the hands of Hollywood fairy tales and hearsay. Claim your free copy of Stopping Power Secrets now, now. at www.stoppingpowersecrets.com. And now, back to the show. Okay, we're back with Michael DeBethencourt of I'mWithRosco.com and loading up the next five reasons why a revolver can be better than a semi-automatic pistol as a defense, self-defense weapon. So let's go ahead and jump back into our interview now. All right, Michael, so we're on the last five here. We're in the home stretch. So what is number six on the list of top ten reasons why a beat semi-auto? I'm going to take a step to the last five. I haven't, I haven't even got to the last, last 55, but we'll, we'll take them in the order you suggest. Um, I'm going to try to finish it up with um, uh, being a little bit more focused on uh, self-defense applications. And uh, I'm going to back it up a little, give you a little back uh, story, and then um, see if I can get you to see where I came from. I had two occasions where uh, officer friends of mine ended up in situations where they required a firearm, uh, but for a lot of mechanical reasons, where they were going and what they were doing and who they were with, they didn't have a weapon. And I remember thinking at the time that uh, the problem was that while they were all trained professionals, um, weather, location, what had you, made it impractical to carry a full-size self-defense weapon. So I went out looking uh, for a compromise, a solution. I wanted to find the smallest available package to hold the maximum amount of power and make it possible that I could carry a self-defense weapon 24-7 the remainder of my life and still feel reasonably competently uh, armed to face the vast majority of what could be reasonably assumed to be uh, realistic situations. And after an enormous amount of research, an enormous amount of soul searching, I came to the conclusion that you cannot beat a, a small uh, five-shot, 38 or better caliber handgun. Now, there are many semi-automatic pistols that have an enormous amount of power out of them. But you pay a penalty for that. You generally pay a penalty in size, and you definitely pay a penalty in weight. But if you're looking for a, a tiny machine, a self-defense tool that you can feel reasonable confident that if you do your job, you can uh, get a violent attacking human being to spend their assault. You could be hard pressed to find something more effective that balances size and power. I'm not recommending that any go get a scantium or titanium 357J frame and then load it with the hottest 357 you can. But you can get away with a short barrel 
SP-101 and load it with 357 if you feel comfortable with that. You can get yourself an airweight Colt or more uh, appropriately perhaps an airweight Smith & Wesson uh, and load it with hot or very hot 38 and still get an enormous amount of power in a very, very tiny package. And I would argue that all things being equal, size for size, you can take your small, flat uh, uh, 380s and 9s and what have you, and from, from muzzle to hammer to the base of the butt, you're not going to get the equivalent amount of power at the front of that weapon as you can with a, a properly loaded 357. So um, as far as self-defense weapons, you get an enormous amount of power if you can handle it in an incredibly small package. And I would argue that that is in its own way, uh, if not a complete advantage, certainly an equivalency with any contemporary uh, semi-automatic pistol out there. Okay. Yep. I can definitely, uh, I'll definitely go with that one. That one yeah, go along with that one, especially since a lot of people um, when considering revolvers, even if you're just looking at one, not as a primary defensive weapon, but as a backup, do you want to be carrying around a, bun a whole bunch of weight with you and a whole bunch of size with you? Typically, no, you don't want to. So even as a backup gun, if you, uh, it has a lot of advantages there as well. So another good option there. All right. So number seven, what is number seven on our list, Michael? Uh, a classic and one completely uh, uh, underappreciated, at least truly underappreciated, pocket fire capability. Um, you, we all get the chance to watch uh, some of the videos uh, from across the world where someone has had to access a firearm in defense of themselves or someone else. And uh, universally, the lag time between recognizing the threat and then uh, clearing your cover guard, whatever that is, and then getting the weapon uh, can be um, disadvantageous enough that you end up with tragedies. Um, if you believe yourself in a situation, in an environment where you need to be carrying uh, a self-defense tool, you want to be able to access it quickly. Or failing that, if you have your antenna out and you realize uh, this isn't the right place and the right time and I need to be moving out of here, because uh, there's a definite uh, safety threat coming. It is infinitely easier to reach into your pocket, particularly an overcoat pocket, a jacket pocket, what have you, put your hand on the weapon, and then you already have three quarters of the fight prepped. Because if you get accosted, if you have someone come up and threaten your safety to the extent that you believe you're gonna face imminent unavoidable loss of life or a crippling injury, you don't have to clear the weapon. It's already in a concealed position, it's already in your hand, and you can discharge it. And if you need to repeatedly discharge it, you can certainly do that with greater ease with a, uh, with a shrouded hammered weapon, a revolver, or, a, uh, or um, an internally hammered weapon like a Centennial. I know at least one officer acquaintance of mine who was in uh, New York uh, heading off to vacation, was set upon by uh, two junkies, uh, one arm with a pistol, one arm with an edge weapon, and uh, he wasn't in the position to reach for the, uh, the full-size weapon on his hip, but he was in a position to reach for his overcoat and access a weapon, and then he subsequently, uh, uh, he did in fact subsequently uh, um, fire the weapon, um, struck the, uh, the first junkie, and took control of the second. Um, a very common trick that we bring in class is we get a lot of, uh, uh, old, discarded, uh, embarrassing as it is to say, uh, 
the slacks. I had the seamstress cut them off at the, um, uh, at the bottom of the pockets. Uh, we sew up the bottom of the cuffs. And then instead of going down to the range to practice, you're shooting through uh, coat drills with uh, recently hard to replace, even if they're worn out coats, you can slip your firearm uh, and your hand down the length of this um, uh, sewn tight pocket and you can practice shooting against the targets and for the price of two or three disposable pants that the Salvation Army, you can spend the whole day practicing uh, a pocket fire and I would argue that that's a skill that you're not gonna find as uh, easily replicated uh, with a semi-automatic pistol where you've got a slide reciprocating. Yeah, definitely. And the other thing, I think the other advantages when it comes to pocket fire also is one, the grip of the uh, of a revolver is easier to grab onto so it's um, than, than it is for a semi-automatic pistol typically. So um, it's going to be easier to get to, especially if you have to get into your pocket quickly and it's some sort of like a hold-up situation. And then also just even firing the gun, firing the gun multiple times Whereas if it's a semi-auto in that same situation inside of a pocket, um, that expended brass might not fully eject because it might be hitting the side of your pocket. I mean, it might be hold, you know, pushing that brass back into the, um, the ejector port there, as opposed to a revolver, that thing's just got to turn, especially if you've got like a shrouded hammer on it where you don't have to worry about that thing snagging. Um, you really just can't beat it. You just can't beat it for pocket fire. So I love that. I love that tip. Awesome. All right, Michael, so what is number eight on our list of our top 10 reasons here? I'm going to suggest that we bring this uh, full circle. Let's, uh, let's presume for a moment that you've actually had to use uh, a firearm in self-defense. Um, I presume also that you've done everything right. Um, I'm going to argue that at some point when the officers arrive, they're going to have to bag all this equipment. Um, they're going to separate you from the gun and any other uh, ancillary equipment. And uh, as esoteric as it might be, and I'm, I'm more than willing to defend this uh, at length, is that having a semi, uh, excuse me, having a revolver uh, after you've been disarmed by the uh, responding police is safer for everybody involved. Um, if you put that revolver down and the muzzle's in a safe direction and the officer picks it up and keeps the muzzle in a safe direction, you can bag that gun uh, until they can get it to somebody who's obviously competent to open the weapon and unload it properly with minimal chance of inadvertently hurting somebody, yourself, the officer, uh, uh, witnesses, what have you. Um, again, I, in no way, shape, or form am I suggesting that the revolver should go back to replacing the semi-auto. Uh, that is never, ever my, uh, my goal. My goal is to argue that both weapons have an enormous number of advantages and we should take full advantages, all of them, depending on the situations, and we should be cognizant of what all those advantages are. So in that vein, I would suggest that if you have a, a, a cocked and unlocked uh, semi-automatic pistol, and with all due respect to all the officers absolutely everywhere, not every officer is going to be a gun enthusiast, and the, the, uh, uh, the situation may require that the officer feels for his or her safety that the weapon has to be moved from location A to location B. Uh, and that just seems like a frighteningly risky proposition based on um, all the exigent circumstances. Whereas if the officer is forced to move a weapon that he or she is not overly familiar with, the revolver is a safer uh, choice for folks after you've used it in self-defense.
Okay. All right, works for me. All right, what is number nine on our list? I'm gonna pick up uh, one step beyond that. Um, the, uh, when you get to defend your actions in front of judge and jury, uh, they're going to get to see your weapons on the evidence table. And I would argue that uh, viscerally, we have a culture that has been raised for generations to believe that, first of all, revolver is a little antiquated, uh, perhaps borderline quaint, uh, certainly the, uh, a weapon that all the major and minor heroes of many of the men and women who are going to be on that jury uh, remember from, from the Lone Ranger on forward. The, the wheel gun has always been the, the, the beat cop's sidearm. It's always been the hero detective's sidearm. It's always been the merchant or the banker's uh, concealed item. And yet we now live in a culture where every bad guy in every uh, video and every film is carrying semi-automatics. And when they see those semi-automatics, they associate an enormous amount of, uh, uh, of rounds running down range. And it's not difficult to imagine that all things being equal, the men and women who will know uh, absolutely nothing about firearms, if they know anything about guns, they're probably never gonna get on that jury, and certainly not gonna hear your case, and they're not gonna understand your point of the view. If they're going to have to make a decision whether you get to home with your family that evening, or if you're gonna go someplace else and make a new family for a long time, I would rather the, the emotional, the visceral, the psychological advantages that imply that this is fundamentally the good guy's weapon and not necessarily something that they associate with the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, thinking about after the, after the shooting is what a lot of people don't really think about. They think pretty much uh, just about the tactics that it takes to be able to survive, which is great, you know, better to be, you know, judged by 12 than carried by six. I get that whole thing, but nonetheless, that's great until you're judged by 12 and you're right, you're making a new family somewhere off in uh, shower land and uh, behind some barbed wire. So, um, okay, so let's go ahead and get down to number 10 here on our, on our list for why the revolver can beat the semi auto I'm, I'm going to bring it full circle uh, and then give you an example and then and, uh, sort of a, a mental challenge. I started by suggesting that it was a fun gun, and I'm going to conclude by suggesting that uh, without being redundant, discovering the, the scores and scores of nearly lost nuances of manipulating gun is more fun than you can anticipate. There are, uh, un, there are a, a number of classic self-defense and revolver support tools. We've got dump pouches, loop pouches, actually loop carriers, two by two pouches, speed strips, speed loaders, the second backup gun. And by the way, when, when, you, when you make the snub your backup gun to whatever you carry, the moment you put your hand on that, by definition becomes your primary gun. And I always say, if you, ever, if, if you only carry that snub one day a year, uh, uh, random fate being what it is, you better be the war god of that gun if you need to manipulate it. Um, but I'm going to go back to being a fun gun. The nuances that you can pick up, the nuances on how to manipulate it and uh, manipulate all the re reloading tools is not so much a challenge as is a puzzle 
to uncover and discover. And when you get down to the range and you have these five or six reloading tools in front of you and you have to go through the machinations and manipulations and you're going to find that they're with every single time that you use them, you will discover something new about the men who used it before you, more how you can optimize it. Uh, something as simple as learning how to use loose rounds. Uh, if you ended up snatching a speed loader and uh, that speed loader were to come apart uh, and you now know how to fundamentally uh, manipulate loose rounds rapidly, there are scores of, of uh, self-defense uh, skills that you can walk away with when you're uh, practicing with the multiple self-defense reloading tools that are currently still on the market. Hmm. Okay, awesome. So this is, um, man, you've, you've talked about a lot of stuff here. Um, the other thing I wanted to add in here, just based upon um, one of the things that you brought up was that, is the simplicity of it. And, and in that, you might have, like for me, I had um, family members who weren't uh, a family member. My wife was not a fan of any firearm whatsoever until that moment of, uh, of clarity hits them when there's somebody in the house and all of a sudden I'm not available to be able to help out there. And uh, so this is um, somebody who did not go to the range, did not learn how to use the complicated, quote unquote, you know, semi-automatic pistol, or wouldn't know how to deal with a malfunction or anything like that. But I always knew that that revolver that I had, if worse came to worse, and she had to hunker down in, in the safe room and just needed something between her and a bad guy trying to get in there, that all she would have to do with that revolver didn't take any training or anything, just point it pull that trigger and she'd at least be able to defend herself when, when that moment came. So, um, so that's another thing I, I, I think is really powerful for people to really understand that it's not always just about you protecting your family and yourself. It could be another family member who doesn't even know about guns, not even trained with guns. But as Michael said, um, you know, it's, it's something that we've seen in movies. You, we know how to point and pull a trigger. And if there's no other mechanisms that they need to worry about, it makes it a very simple thing that somebody can use for home defense, be able to take care of themselves and be self-reliant. So um, that's another thing I just wanted to add in there. Um, Michael, this is a lot of great, a lot of great information here. I know this was just kind of the tip of the iceberg of all the reasons why you've said in the past and, and written so many times about the advantages of a revolver and why it should really be looked at for a defensive weapon. So why don't you just, um, just take a few minutes here. I'm really curious about this new project that you have with I'm with Roscoe. Can you just tell people a little bit about it, like who it might be for and who might want to go check it out? I'd be thrilled. Um, oh, I'm with Roscoe is a, uh, is a noir themed uh, snub shooting association. Um, we uh, have been out for about two years. We've got about 4,000 members so far and we are literally spread across the world. Um, uh, I wanted to be able to uh, go down to the range with uh, a few friends. Uh, I had, a, in my mind's eye, a very straightforward um, uh, format. I wanted to get one round, or rather one box of ammunition, and, and my uh, short barrel 38. And I wanted to use all the classic uh, 38 reloading tools that I mentioned a, a moment or two ago. And I was going to shoot uh, uh, seven stages with seven rounds a stage, something that would be in, uh, uh, wouldn't be particularly expensive to master or to, to, uh, to manage. Um, and I wanted to make sure that when I was scoring my performance that we didn't ask anybody to shoot against truly competent shooters because there's no fun in that. And uh, one of the things that we do a little bit different than just about anyone else is that when you 
uh, you download our, uh, our directions and you download our target and you go out and you shoot it uh, and you get your scores up on the, uh, the scoreboard as we call it. When you come back, if you're shooting a 15 out of a possible 100 and the other guy is shooting a 95 out of a possible 100 and you come back a week and a half later and you give it a second try and you go from 15 to 25 and that gentleman goes from 95 to 95, we don't send him any awards. We send you prizes. If you keep moving up the competence level, you're never ever shooting against the local ringer. You're always shooting against the last guy who shot against you and that was you. Um, the other thing that we like to do is we like to look good doing it. Um, I couldn't afford all the accoutrements uh, for the cowboy action shooting. And I thought, well, at minimum, at base minimum, I could afford a nice Panama hat or when the weather was cold, a fedora. And I told the guys if they were willing to come and get themselves a good looking hat, 50 rounds of 38 and a revolver, we could put on a show. And it uh, took off like a skyrocket. Um, and currently, uh, uh, of all the uh, things that we could uh, offer in order to encourage folks to join us is that we put an electronic newsletter every two weeks. We put out a, a print publication every six months. Uh, I've been on the line with um, uh, over 100 manufacturers of revolver-related materials. We've got uh, 25 of them so far to offer us discounts. And when I talk to the guys about uh, joining our association, uh, and I run through the, uh, the, the growing list of all the um, advantages we can give them, I always tell them that when you pick up our publication, every single uh, individual you see advertised, um, we don't charge for the advertising. What we do is we, we trade them. If they will give our members a 10% discount on whatever their revolver-related item is, uh, we will give them a quarter-page ad. So when you look at our magazine, not only is it written by all the revolver instructors uh, who used to be competitors, but always friends, so you get an enormous amount of revolver-related training uh, with absolutely every issue. Uh, if you decide that you want to buy a new speed loader, you want to try somebody's new holster, you want to try somebody's recommended two-by-two -two pouch, you can look them up on the uh, magazine, call that individual up, order it, and get a discount. And I tell all the, the members constantly, the more members we get, the more clout we have in the marketplace, the more clout we have, the more manufacturers we bring in, and it becomes a circle. Um, and most importantly, uh, all you have to do to join is uh, have a swing up revolver, short barrel would be nice, but it's not a requirement, 50 rounds of ammunition, and a willingness to go down the range. And that's about the sum total of the, um, the bar you have to cross in order to become uh, one, of our, uh, one of our shooting uh, participants. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, it sounds like a lot of fun. I know you're all about fun. So um, everybody, listen, uh, whether you have been a Revolver fan in the past or not, I was not originally a long time ago. I was always like a semi-automatic guy, but um, Michael has been, actually, I will give him credit, has been one of the guys that has helped bring me over to the other side. And I've never looked back ever since really realizing how it fit into my uh, in my personal defensive uh, weapon platform that I carry with every day. So, um, so I really appreciate all the work that he's done, even with just with keeping that the snub nose revolver and other revolvers out there on people's minds as, as a true uh, defensive weapon. So thanks so much for that. 
And listen, uh, go check them out on their website. Uh, it's you can one thing you can always be sure with Michael, whether it's his training or whether it's uh, his writing or whether it's any of the other training they put out there. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to you're going to have a few laughs with it. So definitely go check it out. Their new initiative over at www.imwithroscoe.com. And until our next Modern Combat Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying, prepare, train, and survive. <laughs> This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.